Hey guys, before we get into the show, I just want to give a huge shout out to our sponsors, Design Crowd. Uh, Design Crowd is a website that helps entrepreneurs, startups, and small businesses outsource or crowdsource design. You can have custom logos, business cards, websites designed from designers all around the world. Design Crowd has over 600,000 designers from Sydney to San Francisco ready to help you with your awesome creative ideas. Get the perfect custom design every time. It's super easy to use as well. All you have to do is post a brief describing the design you need. Design Crowd will then invite its 600,000 designers to submit ideas. And over the course of three to 10 days, a typical project will receive 60 to 100 different designs from designers around the world. All you have to do is pick the design and then approve payment. To get your custom design done by the crowd, check out designcrowd.com forward slash HMD to learn more and receive your special startup hand-me-downs VIP offer when you start your next project. All our listeners get a special $100 off their first project, so check out designcrowd.com forward slash HMD. That's designcrowd.com forward slash HMD. Or simply enter your discount code HMD when you start your next project. If you are crazy enough to think that you as an individual can start a company, against all odds and grow it to become something successful revenue generating and have an exit yeah. then you get through the nose yeah. because you don't care mm. like that's never stopped any of us ever before yeah. right like if that were true there wouldn't be Olympians there wouldn't be doctors and lawyers yeah. right Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. I won't say too much here because I want you guys to get straight into the action, but this is part two of the interview that I done with the incredible serial entrepreneur and venture capitalist Kai Bond. If you're just joining us now, be sure to listen to part one of Kai's incredible story. And guys, while you're at it, please leave us a review and a rating on the Apple Podcasting app. And why not subscribe while you're at it as well? Let's get straight into the action. Okay, I want to switch gears a little bit now and, and talk about, I guess, Catalyst Fund, obviously yes. focusing on diverse founders. That's right. But as a founder, right, Yeah. did you feel as though you didn't get as far as you could or you were being, I guess, shorthanded because of the color of your skin? Like, did that ever play a part in the struggle? It always does. Mm. Uh, you know... You'd never know to the extent with which that is the determining factor. Yeah. And, you know, the smartest people in the games business who I talked to, who passed, right? And we, we had a really good conversation with some of the investors who were in Gamefly, right? 
and we were like, this is our demo and this is what we're going after. And they were like, do you know what our demo is and where we focus and they're different and why, you know? And they were really trying to figure out, right? Like, is this a good investment? And you could see, and, and I think what makes it obvious is like there's certain types of meetings, right? And we would have these where it was just like completely disinterested. Yeah. I don't even know why they took the meeting. Like, yeah. they're not, this is clearly not going to be an investment from you. I don't want your salmon niswa salad. Like, thank you very much. <laughs> like, it's nice to be in Palo Alto, but I'm leaving. Yeah. You know. Um, and so I think, you know, conscious, unconscious, bias, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, plays a role. Mm. And what I was fortunate for early on in raising money was that I had a network of people I could tap into. Yeah. There were high net worth individuals and angels and not everyone has that, yeah. you know, and so that was what the fortunate situation was. And once I was able to raise money um, the first time and tell that story and what I did and why it failed and some of the challenges that we had and some of the things we didn't do well and some mm -hmm. of the things we did uh, well. So the people who trust you, who you develop those relationships with, it's no different. Right? I look at... Um, you know, Roger Desai is a friend of mine. You know, he has a company called Payphone. You know, he's raised money from RRE, I think, for f three or four businesses, right? Yeah. And it's like they believe in Roger. Yeah. He's one of the smartest people out there. Yeah. And venture, for better or for worse, is a relationship-driven business, you know? And I ended up raising money from the same people a couple of times over because they were like, that didn't work, but we believe in you. Yeah. And so... You know, the biggest challenge, you know, that I talk about a lot of time is where are the black LPs that are putting money into the GPs yeah. and those GPs that are placing money into startups, yeah. right? And we have not, you know, when I look at what I would consider the most successful cohort of entrepreneurs and angel investors in the world, it's the PayPal mafia, mm -hmm. where you see what they've gone on to yeah. do. yeah. There is no African-American or Latino version of that that has created institutional wealth yeah. for hundreds, if not thousands of individuals who stay close to one another, mm. invest in one another, yeah. partner with one another, yeah. and grow it out. Yeah. So I always have this struggle of, is it better to do 100 checks of $50,000 or is it better to just try to find one that's going to be a rocket ship, mm. right? And put all of the money into that. Yeah. <laughs> this is like all of the money's going yeah. into this thing, yeah. right? And it, nothing's ever sure, right? But, you know, right now I think what we're seeing from a lot of the early stage African-American and Latino investors is mm -hmm. that it's the first time fund for them. Yeah. So you're raising 10 to 20. Yeah. You're able to cut 100K checks. And maybe, you know, you can double down on a couple of those or maybe you'll come on pro rata. Yeah. But until you get to a $50 million fund where you can do sizable checks in later rounds and until you've found a hit, right, that will allow an entire ecosystem to really flourish, it's going to continue to be a struggle. Mm. Look, I, I'm going to do 650 meetings with founders of color this year. Wow. We'll do five investments. Wow. It's no different than any other VC, right? Yeah. You're probably talking about 1% of the people getting funded. That's a really low number. It's a really low number, right? 1% yeah. of people get funded, right, that, that are, you know, that are coming into a venture office. 1% of venture capital goes into African-American and Latino founders. Yeah. Like, 
if you are crazy enough to think that you as an individual can start a company against all odds and grow it to become something successful, revenue generating, and have an exit, yeah. then you get through the nose yeah. because you don't care. Mm. Like, that's never stopped any of us ever before. Yeah. Right? Like, if that were true, there wouldn't be Olympians, there wouldn't be doctors and lawyers, yeah. right? And, and we're starting to see a change, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think right now we're at that point where, you know, generation before us, doctor, lawyer, yeah. Big four consulting, yeah. top tier accounting firm, guaranteed six figure salary, not gonna be broke, yeah. stable career. Now we're starting to see the same people whose parents worked at Microsoft, who worked at IBM, mm. who were like, get your mechanical engineering degree. Yeah. Right? Get your comp sci degree. Don't yeah. go and get a doctor's degree. Yeah. Right. And don't worry about the MBA so much, right? Um, and so there's a lot of forces moving in the right direction. That being said, you know, is the deck stacked against? Absolutely. Yeah. But you can't let that stop you. Ever. So, you know, every founder that comes in, I'm like, I got a list, spreadsheet, 60 other African-American, Latino, entrepreneur, uh, uh, venture capitalists. I give you three intros. Who do you want to talk to? Mm. If you're too early for me, because you're just starting to get a little bit of traction, I'll send you a precursor. I'll send you to backstage, like that are doing earlier stage stuff than I am. You know, um, Harlem Capital Partners, right? Like yeah. whoever it is, I'm gonna try to figure out how to get you into the right hands. You know, if it's right in my sweet spot, who can I syndicate that deal with? Yeah, are you gonna go over to Kpor and talk to them, right? Go and talk to Brian. So, you know, my overall sort of feeling is the same network effect that sort of created the Valley yeah. of people sharing deals and hackers. I mean, the Valley was started because people hacked together yeah. and they worked and they supported one another's crazy ideas and projects yeah. and they work with one another. And that same spirit of how do we share deals to make sure that you're in front of the right people at any given time is how we need to take care of this yeah. ecosystem. And mm-hmm. that's an important part that I think gets glossed over. We're just at the beginning phases of that ecosystem really coming together. Yeah. And it needs to be cultivated and it needs to be cared for. And people have different investment philosophies, right? Some people are media, some people are this stage, or some people are focused on this market. And so, you know, for me, it's, you know, I was, I was trading um, emails with um, Kwame at uh, Black Angel Tech Fund today. And I introduced him to a deal. He's taking the meeting. And you know, we had a chat last week and he was like, send me what you can. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. Just send me what you can. I want to talk to people. Right? Yeah. And so that's the kind of legwork we need to put in to make sure everyone is at least getting the right meetings. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned philosophy. So what is your philosophy when it comes to investing? And also, I guess, you know, 600 meetings, you're going to make five investments. Yeah. What did, what did the five do in order to get that investment? What yep. did you see? Sure. So um, we are sector agnostic, right? So the only things I don't work on are hardware-related businesses, ad tech, and FDA sort of regulated environments. So we do fintech, we do consumer, B2B SaaS, 
AI, machine learning, VR, yeah. you know, you name it, we have something in the portfolio that fits uh, in, in a vertical outside of us. You know, number one, team. Why you, right? Why are you the right person to do this? Um, two, um, understanding of the market and traction in that market, right? Mm -hmm. So we invest on traction for sure, right? Um, it's very hard for us to just cut a check you know, with no traction. So if you're a SaaS business, right, and you want to come in and raise, you know, $2 million at a $10 million pre, you know, you better be doing 20K in, you know, MRR, yeah, yeah. right? You better know what your logo churn looks like, yeah. right? I mean, there are specific numbers and metrics that investors are looking for, yeah. right? Um, and I think that when I, I, I talk to a lot of founders who, they don't do their homework, right? In terms of what is the right stage for me to raise at what valuation, right? Mm. So, you know, my overall philosophy is team and why that team can own a space and understanding what their traction looks like and what, what that, that potential looks like, right? So overall market size. Yeah. Um, I tend to like sort of the nerdier tech stuff um, yeah. in SaaS businesses. And, you know, we did an investment in, uh, a, we led, we helped uh, co-lead a, a Series A investment uh, into Ross Intelligence. And Ross does- um, Is that the lawyer? Yeah, so uh, artificial intelligence for the legal industry, mm -hmm. natural language processing and case summarization uh, for legal briefs, you know, increases the inefficient, increases the efficiency um, of a lawyer at least 30%, wow. right? And that's a sort of a bar for us, right, in terms of a SaaS stack um, that, that we'll look for. And so that's an amazing uh, company, you know, already had a, you know, um, really strong revenue. And they had some of the biggest law firms in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Not only as customers, but as investors. Wow. And they had a test bed to roll out their new services. So every time they roll out a new practice area for, you know, they move from tax to labor and employment, well, they roll them out inside of this friendly environment. They yeah. get all the feedback they need. Yeah. They tweak what they need to on the algos. And then they go out and sell. Yeah. Right? And so they understood he's a former lawyer. Mm. He has a team out of the University of Toronto. Incredibly talented AI lab. Mm. Right? We knew the market was going from hourly billing, right, that was you know, stuffed full of extra, you know, minutes yeah. at a lawyer level to flat rate services, right? Mm -hmm. And the way in which corporates are paying major law firms. Yeah. And so it was this perfect storm that now is the right time for AI in the legal industry. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we took all that in and said, this is a great deal, right? This is one we'll go after. And that's an example of a business, I think, you know, for us um, that, that we were proud to be in you know, and, and help lead that initiative uh, with, with Andrew and, and Gmo. Um, you know, on the earlier side, you know, we've, you know, one that's not disclosed yet is in the consumer space. And, you know, they with, you know, very small amount of angel funding have identified a niche in the personal care space for men and we have experience as a fund, right, with Dollar Shave Club. Mm. And this seems and, you know, looks, smells, feels mm. a lot like that did, yeah. but at an earlier stage. Yeah. And, you know, they had built a successful uh, consumer brand and exited that business and had the metrics lined up 
that would prove to us that they could execute on this big vision. Mm. And so, you know, again, much less in sales and revenue and traction, but a team in a giant market that we knew could execute on it. Right. And those are the things that you have to believe, right? That this team is playing in a market that's big enough that even if their vision right now isn't the one that's going to win, yeah. that they're humble enough, they're smart enough, they look at their, their market through an objective lens that they will figure out how to win in that space. Right. And that's why market size is so important. Yeah. You play in a small market and you need to pivot and the market might not be that big for the mm. small thing you're trying to win in. And so when we look at a big market, it's a multi-billion dollar personal care space, they're going to figure it out. Yeah. And um, I guess, so you mentioned two you know, really credible founders just there. One was a lawyer, mm-hmm. one has already exited. Mm-hmm. How about if you don't have the years of experience and if you haven't sold a company, then mm-hmm. what do you do? Don't call yeah. you? No, no, no. no. <laughs> no always call me. I may not answer. I'll reply to emails, but I don't answer my phone much. You see how many voicemails I have. Um, you know, uh, we invested in another business this year where the founder had, it was a first time founder. Mm. But knew the, uh, the diversity and inclusion space better than anyone. Yeah. And was operating in that space for years. And was like, this is a hole that the last two Fortune 100 companies I work for do not have this utility. Yeah. And if they had it available in the market, they would pay for it. And went out and signed three contracts with Fortune you know, 100 companies that wanted that product. And we were like, holy shit, like, of course we're going to invest because you are actually demonstrating something that's even more impressive, right? That, you know, as a subject matter expert in that field, you identified a massive gap and it could end up being a huge business. And so, you know, those are the important sort of, um, I think when when I look at someone who's not a repeat founder and hasn't had a successful exit is... How deep does your subject matter expertise and domain expertise lie? Yeah. Are you a master of this space and can I rely on you as a subject matter expert to build this out? Mm. Um, and then, you know, coachability and sort of, you know, all the other things that go along with being a good founder um, to, to ensure that they'll get there. Yeah, that's good. I asked this question to um, Charles when I interviewed him last week. And um, I guess on a micro level, what can founders of color do in order to, because we don't see that many founders of color. I mean, we know that less than 1% of venture capital goes to people of color, so maybe that deters a lot of people. But I guess what can founders do, and what can, I guess, what can black people do at a micro level to like change that narrative? Right, so, (laughs) man. uh, Heavy question. That's a, a, there's there's so many levels there, right? So, you know, my, and, and I think, you know, this is, is not unique. So this is unique to the sort of the, the black and brown founder experience, right? Which is, you know, coming out of school, most likely, right? Probably got some college debt that you have to pay down. Mm-hmm. Like, you take a job that can pay a good salary so that you can be free of the burden of student debt, yeah. right? Um, and that is a logical, sensible decision from a life perspective, yeah. right? But I think there needs to be more recognition of 
a path in three to five years which gets you to be a startup founder. A lot of people are like, oh, I'll do this job for a couple of years and go to B school, mm. right? Or, or I'll go and take a job at a startup mm. and I'll try to get in, employee 20 to 50, they're already Series A founded, I'll yeah. learn yeah. my way through. You know, I did an interview with Vore and they asked me about this and they said, what's your biggest regret? And was like, I waited in, until I think, I, until I was in my late 20s to become a founder. Wow. Like, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't have worked at those startups. Mm -hmm. I would have just become a founder. Yeah. And so you're young, you have no money, you know, you're used to just eating slices at, you know, 1 a.m. <laughs> on the street in New York, Real. you know, you know every happy hour in town. Like, yeah. you know, while you still have no money is the best time to become a founder mm. because you haven't gotten used to being at a bank or you know being at a you know consulting gig where you're making good money going back to having zero dollars is really difficult right yeah. so i think going back and bootstrapping early you know i don't see enough founders of color um you know doing nights and weekends um hackathons right like i see a lot of people who are like i'm in a job and i need to raise money for this so I can do it. Yeah. Like, and we raise off of traction, right? Yeah. And, or we fund off of traction. And so, you know, there are, you know, challenges like the family and friends, you know, uh, uh, money just isn't available. Yeah. Right. It's not like everybody can go back and be like, oh, I'm going to get a hundred thousand dollars from a couple of checks, yeah. my friends and family to build this out. That doesn't exist. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's important. Like accelerator programs, I actually think have done a really good job for black and brown founders overall yeah. to increase the pool of available capital at that like pre-seed phase. Yeah. We're starting to see pre-seed funds that cater to African-American, Latino, female founders. Yeah. That's a huge change yeah. in the ecosystem. So we need to have a proliferation of money at the early phase. Yeah. Right. Um, and that is just a vital part of the startup ecosystem. And that always has been. And so if we talk about how do we get more money into that phase of sort of pre-seed, it's folks like Charles. It's folks like Arlen, right? Like we need to ensure that they're getting the LP commitments that they need to fund this segment appropriately. Yeah. I still think it's a matter of how money flows through the ecosystem, from LPs to GPs down into the funds, into the founders. Um, you know, and then developing the ecosystem amongst ourselves, right? Which yeah. is... You know, I think Ty Ahmad Taylor does this probably better than anyone. You can call that brother at any point in time. He's got spreadsheets of people he can introduce. I'm serious. I don't even know who that is. Yeah, he's amazing. He's he's um, he's a good friend. Um, you know, he his company was also acquired by Samsung. I ended up working very closely with him post acquisition of my business. He's now a, a VP over at Facebook, um, but he puts on these events where there are hundreds of incredibly talented founders, VCs, private equity, you know, we need to really focus on taking care of one another. Yeah. And that can be in the form of networking, that can be in the form of getting in early at those jobs, but I think the, and I talked about this a little bit earlier, which is like, what is the PayPal for the a PayPal black and brown mafia. founder PayPal mafia. Yeah. that allows you know, 15, 20, 30 individuals with real sizable bank accounts mm. to cut those angel checks. Yeah. And right now there's just not enough of that floating around the ecosystem. Let's take a quick break. If you're stuck for ideas around how to develop your logo, website design, or business cards, 
Design Crowd can give you access to 600,000 creative minds from around the world. Once you've launched your brief, designers will begin submitting quality designs for you to review. With some constructive feedback, you can quickly generate a large gallery of designs that really do fit your needs. Rather than paying expensive fees and waiting weeks for agencies to pitch an idea, you can have exactly what you need within three days. Once you've selected your favorite idea, you'll be sent all the files you need to update your branding. If you don't like any of the submitted designs, then Design Crowd offers a money back guarantee. To get your custom design done by the crowd, check out designcrowd.com forward slash HMD to learn more and receive your startup hand-me-downs VIP offer when you start your next project. All our listeners get a special $100 off their first project, so check out designcrowd.com forward slash HMD. That's designcrowd.com forward slash HMD. Or simply enter the discount code HMD when you're posting a project on Design Crowd. Okay, let's get back into the show. I think uh, Blavity do a good job with Afrotech yep. um, on the West Coast. Yeah, I mean, um, look, you know, Morgan and, and team at Blavity are phenomenal. I mean, I was at Afrotech, right? Nice. Um, and I was leaving on, uh, on day one, that Friday. And, you know, I was just kind of observing and listening to everybody who's kind of walking out, you know, the chatter and... and, and you know, I heard somebody just say out loud, like, that was like one big warm hug, mm. you know. Um, and it really sort of struck me because, you know, as individuals, we go out of our way, I think, a lot to help one another. Yeah. But there isn't the connected tissue that brings us all together enough. Yeah. Right. In events like that. And so I, you know commend them for what they've done because that event is nothing short of phenomenal. We were fortunate enough to have um, Comcast, NBC Universal give a $10,000 check nice. to the winner of the startup competition. Awesome. Um, you know, and, and so it was, it was, you know, great to be there, but it's got to be more of that. We, we, need, we need more. Yeah. London more is, money. Yeah, London is slacking as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, more money and more events. Yeah. That's good. So I just want to, what, towards wrapping up now and ask you a few fire side questions sure so um let's start off with your favorite book all right favorite book um so i'm dyslexic so i have a problem reading it's one of those things that i'm just like i, I always every i gotta get better <laughs> i need i need to uh to be better at reading more um, i mean dude if you've got this file without reading <laughs> yeah no but i mean you don't do too bad <laughs> no but i mean you know look we spend so much time on current events we spend so much time in social media we spend so much time on like the here and now media that actually stepping back and being thoughtful and being reflective of bigger picture issues is key um you know so I'm, I'm going to pass on that just because I can't tell you anything this year that I've read that's been meaningful to me. Okay, favorite podcast instead. Do you listen to podcasts? Right here. <laughs> okay, start that's easy. Down. Okay, uh, okay, then I guess favorite blog post. Was that, does that count? Blog post? I, you know, I read 8VC uh, okay. sort of religiously nice. um, just as a, um, a pulse Yeah. Um, because it's so consistent. Um, and it's so relevant all the time. Yeah. Um, so I'm a big fan of AVC. Nice. Uh, okay. Favorite IG account? 
Man, I'm not on the IG. I'm old. What? <laughs> You're not on IG? Nah. You're on Twitter, though? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I see you retweeted something from my son not too long ago. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I like the hip-hops. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, okay, who do you look up to? Who's, like, biggest inspiration? Biggest inspiration? Oof, man. Um... That's a real, really good question. You know, I have a lot of mentors um, and I'm a big believer in having mentors, but I'm not gonna name uh, any of the, the mentors. You know, I think if I were to look at, you know, sort of who I admire in a really meaningful way in the tech industry, mm. it's Bill Gates. Yeah. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to meet him. Um, in 2000, I was interning at Microsoft at the time. And Mark Spain was my, my mentor. He was the CFO there for a while. Um, and he came in the office. And seeing the rigor at which he has taken his personal wealth and decided to structurally in a, in a very sort of rigorous way mm. identify the biggest challenges in humanity that we have and spend the good part of his life mm. right in, in formative years as as uh, as a human being solving some of the world's worst problems and in a meaningful way with metrics, yeah. with numbers, taking yeah. a product-driven approach, taking yeah. an investment-driven approach. Um, you know, I can't think of anyone, you know, that if I had money in that way and even without having that much money, sort of trying to attack some of the biggest, you know, challenges in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have a tremendous amount of respect for Bill Gates. Yeah, I love good. what he's doing. Would you move to his new city that he's building? <laughs> Man, New York is home. <laughs> it's going to be know. the first tech city in the US. But I don't yeah, know. you know. I yeah. mean, you check I'd it out. love to visit. Yeah, I'll visit. Love to I'll visit, visit too. I'll, I'll visit, visit too. Maybe second home if I'm yeah. fortunate, <laughs> fortunate enough in another investment yeah. or two. Um, and finally, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to a founder now? I mean, you've given so much like yeah. quality advice and yeah. sound advice back by like real life experience, but like if you can narrow it down to one thing. So, I think more than anything, if you are an entrepreneur, that is a lifestyle decision. Mm. You know, you've chosen a path in life that is incredibly difficult just to start from that point, right? Um, most startups don't succeed. Most fail. Uh, and so you have to understand that you're not in it for the money. It's not the best way to make a lot of money. Uh, it's not the easiest career path. Um, and so I always think it's, it's kind of the ultimate lifestyle decision, which is I am going to be my own boss. And Running a company's hard. Like, you clean your house, you gotta clean the office. You pay your taxes, you gotta pay your company's taxes. Mm. You know, um, you have to take care of your employees like they're part of your family. Um, and so, you know, starting with this, you know, companies come and go, right? Some stay around forever, but they'll change dramatically. 
So understand that you as an entrepreneur, as an individual who've made that decision, needs to be separate and distinct from the company you run. Mm. And sometimes people get so wrapped up in the business they're running that they become the company. Mm. They don't sort of have the ability to step back as that entrepreneur, as an individual, and think through the same problems in the same way. And people get clouded thoughts and you know they keep running into the same walls and it's a difficult process psychologically, emotionally, physically. You know, you don't have the time to work out, you don't have the time for friends and family, right? Like you're probably, you know, on a monthly basis just getting by, right, in a lot of times. And separating out sort of who you are versus what your company is mm. is important. Because you're going to have a bunch of companies. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you, if you're a real entrepreneur, you're going to have a couple of companies. You know, if you're lucky, maybe you have one. Yeah. That, that's very few people who've done that. Yeah. And so having the ability to step back and whatever that means for you. Some people love the outdoors. Some people want to play video games. Some people jam on music, um, sports, art. like Whatever that escape is to get you away from your company, from the product, from the business, and understand who you are as an entrepreneur will help and actually improve the quality of your business. I think too many people get wrapped up in what they're doing right now, yeah. and they get a little bit myopic, and they get the blinders on, and they, 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 they find it difficult to, like, to, to, to think objectively uh, about what's right. And so you know, my advice for entrepreneurs is like, find that time to reflect about who you are and why you are on this journey because that will eventually guide you towards what the right decisions are for your business. It's not metrics, um, you know, it's not KPIs, um, it's about you as a founder. Um, and that's the most important thing you need to, to think about um, as a founder. Right. That's amazing, thank you so much. I appreciate so um, Kai, where can people find you if you wanna be found? Twitter, CV Catalyst, LinkedIn, Kai Bond, it's the easiest way to email, get a hold of us. We're here. We take meetings all over the country, all over the world. <laughs> I look forward to hearing from you. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kai. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Just want to say a huge shout out to the guys at Comcast Ventures for having me and a massive shout out to Kai Bond for an amazing interview. So inspirational, so informative, and I mean, even after the interview, we carried on talking for another 45 minutes or so. I mean, he's honestly an incredible guy. As always, guys, if you haven't already, please subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, and while you're at it, please leave us a review. They honestly do go a long way. Until next time, guys, keep grinding. Keep grinding.